The Critical Care PRN is dedicated to fostering the role of critical care pharmacists as essential members of the multidisciplinary patient care team. The Critical Care PRN's goal is to optimize drug therapy outcomes by promoting excellence and innovation in clinical pharmacy practice, research, and education. For more information, including how to become a member, go to critprn.accp.com. Again, that website is critprn.accp.com. Welcome to Pharmacy to Dose, the critical care podcast, a partner of the ACCP Critical Care PRN and a member of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. And I'm your host, Nick Peters. And wherever you are and however you are listening, thank you. All right, friends, we are here for our first ever trial of the week. And what are we doing here, you may ask. So we are going to review a notable trial each week. Almost every time we will feature the guest of the article, if possible. If not, we'll at least get a subject matter expert on here. And it's going to follow this general pathway. So first, we're going to set the scene. We're going to give some background into the treatment, what was happening at the time. Uh, Then, of course, trial of the week. We're going to go into the article that we're featuring today. And then we're going to follow with where are we now? How has this affected progress? How has this ultimately affected our care? And the first episode is one of the best, uh, unpeeling the evidence for the banana bag, featuring two of the Pharmacy to Dose podcast favorites, Aaron Cook and Alex Flannery. Um, Aaron Cook is a professor at the University of Kentucky College of Pharmacy and a neurocritical care pharmacist. And Alex Flannery is an assistant professor at the University of Kentucky and a MICU pharmacist. And together, they were first and senior author on an incredible paper So stay right here because Aaron and Alex joined me in person to talk about the banana bag episode right now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, friends, we're in here for a treat today. This is the inaugural trial of the week, right? So if you're familiar with the podcast, you've, you've been following me on social media, you've seen the trials of the day, right? So this is the trial of the week. It's hard to review those things in 60 seconds. So what we're going to do is we're taking some of our favorite articles. We're going to review them in a little bit longer format. And we are starting with literally one of my favorite articles of all time, Unpeeling the Banana Bag. And I am here with Aaron Cook and Alex Flannery. Fellas, I appreciate you joining me today. 
Now set the scene for us with banana bags, because I think a lot of people are like, what's the big deal? Like how common were they? And I have to ask, did you write this paper because you despise them so much? Well, I, well, first of all, thank you so much for having us both on uh, this trial of the week. I think it's going to be a cool format and um, I'm really humbled that you picked this one first. Um, I, I have to say it's, um, one of our favorite articles that we've done, uh, certainly together, but uh, I think individually. And uh, I'll, I'll have to say, first off, you can give Alex credit for the cool title. Um, <laughs> or shame. <what> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, credit or blame, whichever. Um, but uh, anyway, it's a good, catchy title. Um, yeah, I, th- I think uh, rally, rally packs is what we call them here, or banana bags. Um, they were ubiquitous. I mean, certainly in the ICU. Uh, any hint of having had some alcohol consumption <laughs> prior to admission and, and you're getting sort of the works on on that stuff. Um, so to some degree, it was a bit of an eye roll um, at times for us. Um, but um, it actually, um, if, is it okay if I tell the your PGY2 story? You tell it and then I'll have a different so, version, I'm sure. Yeah. So <laughs> there we go. That's what we want. Yep. So, you know, I was fortunate enough to uh, preset, I'm, to precept Alex in uh, the medical ICU in his last month of his PGY2 residency. And um, he was already signed on to be our MICU specialist, you know, the next month or two after he graduated. And, you know, he's already obviously functioning at a really, really, really high level. And so I kind of approached the month as like, hey, pick something that you want to just kind of nerd out on. And like, we'll spend a whole week and we'll just read it all and and we'll learn it really deep blank slate you had no it was just whatever he wants yeah so you know he comes up with thiamine um and at that time you know thiamine was just starting to get hot with like lactate clearance and and the whole sepsis literature and everything and um so it was a great choice and um we sort of also sort of attacked it from the the rally pack um and alcohol withdrawal standpoint so we PubMedded it and searched all the references and all those articles. We actually physically went to the library, you know, which nowadays <laughs> is one of the criteria, like, do I really need this article that badly that I actually have to physically go to the library to get it? But we did that, um, and we were reading stuff, you know, from the 30s and 40s and, you know, some data that was unethically obtained from patients, you know, back in the old days. Um, and, um, so it was, it was really interesting though, to read what we used to know and we kind of forgot, um, because this habit of doing the rally pack or banana bag had just taken hold so much that a lot of the older research that, that people used to use, um, just sort of fell by the wayside because of that. I think that was, so Aaron, like you said, was, you know, Aaron's in neurosurgery and he was precepting me in MICU. And so in my head, I was like, well, this has got to be like, you know, neuro related pretty much. And so that's how, (laughs) that's how we got into the um, banana bag topic. And I just, I think this was one of my like earliest experiences with where does, where does like what we do come from and trying to find, I mean, we've all probably had it in our career where you're like, you're looking back and you look at the reference and then you go to the next reference, which just cites another review which cites another review, and actually like finding out where everything is. And so Aaron and I really dove into this, and 
this is one of the topic discussions that was like just seared in my head because I just remember like me in the residence office with just papers everywhere highlighting. It's like that meme from It's Always Sunny where just like and Aaron just comes yeah. in and is like, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> so that was kind of how we dove into it. So, oh, Wait, wait, though. How did you pick the title, though? Oh, that was that. I've gotten so much grief over this title, but it was just looking for something catchy and just uh, uh, people don't call this like the review. It's just the unpeeling the banana back paper. And that's kind of how. <laughs> 100%. I, I feel like rally packs, man, as an Indianapolis person, Indy 500, I feel like I don't know why they were called banana bags at our shop. It should have been rally packs, I feel like. So <laughs> you described how how you had to get the information, right? You're literally like, and for those who have never done that, you're like photocopying actual books or like actual print journals for those who are like, oh, you're going to the library to like access their like Wi-Fi or their like their, their journals. No, no, no. You're getting the actual like things from the shelf. So like what was, you had never really looked into it. How on the surface of just like a quick search, like, like, like we would with any question that we have, how easy was it to find like any information of, of clinical relevance to what you were looking for? Well, I, I think the initial searches were somewhat fruitful um, because there are some nice guidelines about um, alcohol withdrawal syndrome and that sort of thing. Actually, I think we use the European guidelines more than anything else. And we started, you know, I mean, Alex sort of described sort of pulling on the thread and then, you know, and keep, keep pulling and, and that was kind of probably where we started because the vast majority of the other stuff, you just get a lot of trash when you do PubMed like that. And it's just a bunch of reviews and stuff that cites each other and it doesn't really go anywhere. And, and so you really have to start digging. And um, I think once we started finding some of the more primary literature, which was older, it helped us identify, okay, these are more the search terms and the things that we need to look at. And we really specifically started looking, I think, more into Wernicke's encephalopathy um, as a way to figure out, you know, how people were using thiamine and studying thiamine in the past. So we set the scene. Now it's time for our trial of the week, right? 2016 Critical Care Medicine article. Um, I love the name for the record. Whoever is an anti of this name, uh, we're instantly, we're instantly. <laughs> Comment below or something, I don't know. <laughs> um, so it's uh, unpeeling the evidence for the banana bag. Evidence-based recommendations for the management of alcohol-associated vitamin and electrolyte deficiencies in the ICU, right? So it's a review of published literature assessing the dose and electrolytes and especially, right, really targeting with thiamine of that Wernicke's treatment, right? And so, so the rally pack banana bag, typically had right about 100 milligrams of thiamine, milligram folic acid, MVI, and the mag, right, plus or minus in a liter. And the the bummer is, right, that used to be one of the, like, fun facts you could just say. Is, you know why that thing's yellow? Is it is no matter your level yeah. of your level yeah. of knowledge, you always knew that. Yeah. So I had you on is my favorite article. Is, is there an article that anyone talks to you all more about than this one right here? I don't know if so, and I was just kind of commenting before. I feel like it's, you know, most of my life is research right now, so you kind of want your research to be, you know, the most impactful, but I feel like I have gotten more emails about this article and people, like, changing their practice and wanting to change their practice uh, than I think any of the original work that I've published. So that makes me feel a little conflicted in a way, <laughs> um, but definitely I think in terms of practice change, it's been uh, really nice to see people sort of, like, reading it and taking it to heart and running with it. Yeah, I feel the same way. 
and I mean, this is like, and this isn't like one of five for you all for the record, right? This is, they, they are, have published. So to, to say that this is, you know, one of the ones that people talk to a lot, right? It's one of the favorites here. We're, we're playing the hits. Um, so what was the most surprising thing? What surprised you the most when you were researching of like, hmm, because I'm sure on the surface you're like, yeah, there's probably not great evidence for this. Once you started going down the rabbit hole, but is there anything that was like, ooh, this is a little, I wasn't expecting this. I, I think for for me, the most interesting thing wasn't necessarily even about the dosing, but just about how many in like the old, old cases, just how often Wernicke's was missed. And then to like apply, I always like to look at like guidelines that aren't necessarily critical care focused and then like how they come back into the unit. And so, you know, my whole spiel with like Wernicke's and Thymine is in the ICU patient, like they always have ultramental status more often than not, they have some, you know, nutritional deficiency. And so by then, you've already hit pretty much like two of the four big ones um, for Wernicke's. And so you really never know if you're at prevention and treatment. And just the degree of like how much that was missed, um, I think, was really, really eye-opening for me in terms of like looking at the risk-benefit of just giving any thymin at all. Yeah, I, I think um, two things kind of struck me when we really started digging in. First, I, I realized, man, we are way off. I mean, we're given 100 milligrams, <laughs> and you really need to probably give at least 600, if not, you know, up to 1,500 a day, if you're really seriously going to treat uh, a real case of Wernicke's, which, as Alex mentioned, you just never know. In a lot of these patients, it's hard to rule out, so you just sort of empirically treat them. So that really struck me that, man, we, like, not only are we kind of not on the right track, but we're way off on the dosing. Um, I think the other thing that really struck me is we really um, dug into um, some of the pharmacokinetics and pharmacodynamics of the drug as well because that plays into why they're deficient in the first place um, often. And um, I don't think that I realized how fine a balance thiamine and bioactive thiamine is in the brain and other organs. Um, where your intake is so closely matched by your consumption and your, your elimination that when you take even a small hit on intake, uh, you're running the risk of, of thiamine deficiency. Um, or on the flip side, many of our critical care patients are hypermetabolic. So they're chewing through this in their brain and, and through just their normal metabolic processes probably a lot faster than the average person. And so... They, they may actually be more prone to having this the sicker they are. So those, those are a couple of things that really I thought were pretty neat from what we read. So the focus of, of what you talked about is on three things, right? Thiamine, magnesium, and folate. So power rank these in order, favorite to least favorite. What, uh, how are you putting them in one, two, three order? I think we probably know what number one is, but two and three, I'm curious. Yeah, I don't know. I think they're sort of tied for. I, I it's all about you know thiamine definitely. I think two and three are, are sort of tied for me, uh, just well below that. Just because a lot of that data was from withdrawal and like preventing severe you know severity of withdrawal. Um, so I'm gonna sit the fence on two and three. I know it's disappointing, but <laughs> yeah, I mean I, I think obviously thiamine. To me, it's it's thiamine, thiamine, and then thiamine, and then the others are a distant, you know, uh, second and third, I guess. Um, I mean, to me, the it. I don't know that you necessarily think about putting it in a, a bag like a rally pack or something like that always, but probably the next most acute thing is magnesium. Um, and and 
a lot of these patients are total body depleted of that as well. I think supplementing folate is really important in those patients, but you're probably not going to see much benefit from that early on. And so um, the magnesium, I think, from a critical care standpoint, you you know you want to see sort of the bang for your buck yep. right right up front when somebody's really sick and and thiamine certainly, but then magnesium's probably number two there. So now, where are we now? So. <laughs> You, this is a thiamine love fest here. So since you published this article, right, 2016, and you probably write t- 2015, we're, we're, we're working on it, researching it and things. How much has your use of thiamine increased from pre and post your, your paper here? I think we were, so the physician that we wrote this with, um, I think we, we have a population, at least in the MICU a lot of times, that we never quite know you know, if there's a reported history of, of alcohol use and how much plus other, I think the other thing is, is that there are a lot of things aside from just um, like an alcohol use disorder that can make you thiamine deficient. And so I think we've always had a pretty low threshold to add thiamine in a lot of our MICU patients. And so I think things like this, um, just sort of for us, like diving into it kind of reinforced what we did um, to have a like a more liberal trigger to, to sort of put at it. Um, so I think we were already there in terms, I think, of having the Thiamine Love Fest, uh, at least for this. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if it had infected other units necessarily to that extent. but <laughs> Well, I mean, I think all the other units pretty much changed their dosing. Um, and so yep. we were giving more just, you know, patient per patient. We were giving more. Um, and, yeah, I think, you know, one of the interesting studies that we looked at actually with the pharmacodynamics of the drug, going back to that, um, often we think of thiamine absorption or, you know, just lack of intake maybe as being the reason. Actually, it was a very old study, and I think it was in rats, but they were evaluating the effect of drugs on um, thiamine metabolism. And actually, amphetamines increase the, the enzyme activity to metabolize thiamine to a non-active form. So, and that was even before sort of the, you know, the epidemic that we have yeah. now with, with, with um, amphetamines and meth and all of that. So, you know, that kind of struck me, too. It's like it's not just alcohol withdrawal necessarily that, that we may need to worry about. It's funny, though, we – and unfortunately, I don't know. Can we take credit for the shortage? I don't think we can. But, um, right after this <laughs> It was came right out, after this paper came a, out. There was a shortage <laughs> of thiamine, and I thought, holy cow, did we do that? Um, but it was kind of inconvenient. And then, of course, the saline shortage hit, right? And – um, most people were putting these thiamine doses in mini bags and infusing them. And so many people went to push. Um, and I think, I mean, most people that I know don't give 500 milligrams push. Um, so I think we started probably kind of heavy on the dosing and we were using mini bags. When we d- dropped the mini bags because of the, 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 the hurricane and the shortage that resulted from that, we kind of went down on the dose a bit, um, still within our range from the paper, but something that we felt a little bit more comfortable with IV push. When I remember too, my dose at the time was 200 milligrams because that was the vial size, right? So if right. you did the 500, yeah. that was three, you were using three vials and that was, that, that, that was tough to swallow at the time where, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because it was, I couldn't believe it. It's like three months afterwards, you just couldn't get thiamine anywhere. <laughs> um, so you mentioned this is one of the, 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 the papers that people email and like discuss with you the most. So in those messages, do you get a sense that 
that this has been that that our standard of practice has changed and that giving instead of a little bit of all of them high up front with thiamine if they're altered or you're worried about that and kind of thinking about your others do you feel like there's been a, a pretty universal push for that I mean not you like not a hundred percent but at least way more than it than it used to be yeah, I think so. I mean, most people, I think, are it's sort of it's refreshing, you know, as you've been in practice and you you do things because you do things, and you read something that sort of wakes you up to, you know, where the history of what you we do every day kind of comes from, and it may or may not necessarily um, make a lot of sense. But I mean, I think there's the thymine, you know, the dosing part, but then you know we've also become a lot more conscious about fluids in you know the last decade or so, and so in a lot of cases, unless you think they need fluids, like that's an extra, if you do a banana bag for three days, that's an extra three liters, right? Which we yep. care a lot about now. Um, so I think there's a lot of reasons that I think made people kind of reassess it and look to this as a, a reference, hopefully, to sort of uh, evolve. Well, what a what an awesome paper. I appreciate you guys joining me for the inaugural trial of the week. Couldn't couldn't think of starting it with, with any other paper. So uh, thanks so much, fellas. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So be sure to let me know what you all thought uh, at Pharmacy to Dose. Uh, reach out to me uh, or definitely Alex uh, and Aaron as well. Uh, you could reach out via email, pharmacy to dose at gmail.com. Uh, this will be something coming out every week. Excited. Give me your feedback so that we can I can make sure that these are as good as they can be. But boy, did we start off with a really, really good one. Um, special thanks again to to Alex and Aaron for for all their help with that. And until next time, I'm Nick Peters, and this is Pharmacy to Dose, the Critical Care Podcast. QXMD builds mobile solutions that drive evidence-based care in clinical practice. So check out READ for easy access to research personalized for you. Calculate for over 500 easy-to-use decision support tools, and learn to earn CME online in minutes per day. Try them today at qxmd.com slash apps. Again, that is qxmd.com slash APPS. The Critical Care PRN optimizes drug therapy outcomes by promoting excellence and innovation in clinical pharmacy practice, research, and education. For more information, go to critprn.accp.com. Again, that is critprn.accp.com. The podcast provides general information only and does not offer individualized medical or professional health care services, including pharmaceutical advice. The contents and materials in the podcast are not intended to be a substitute for inpatient pharmaceutical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Use of the contents and materials on the podcast does not constitute a pharmacist-patient relationship. As a result, the information in and materials linked to this podcast are applied at the user or patient's own risk. Users and patients should consult their physician or personal health care professional. Users or patients should not ignore or delay seeking care because of something they heard on this podcast. In case of an emergency, the user or patient should contact their physician, call 911, or go to the nearest medical emergency facility. The views and statements expressed on this podcast are those of the host and guests and should not be interpreted to reflect the official position or policy of ACCP or the Critical Care PRN. ACP and the Critical Care PRN disclaim any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or any other damages, including without limitation, loss of profits arising out of any use of reference to, reliance on, or inability to use the podcast, its contents, and materials.